0: want to welcome you to this gathering of Crossway Christian Church. We're glad that you are here with us today. My name is John, one of the pastors here. And if you are visiting with us for the first time, we especially want to welcome you as our guest. And we ask that at the end of the service when we collect our offering, uh, that you feel no obligation to put money in the plates. All we would like from you is a visitor connection card, which you can find from the chair in front of you if you would fill that out so we could have a record of your visit. And uh, we would appreciate that. Also on the back for visitors as well as members, there is a prayer card. If you have some prayer requests you would like to share with this church body or perhaps just the pastors of this church, you can fill that out and put that on the plate or hand that to us on your way out. Let's turn now to God's Word. We are going to be in two places today. Uh, If you have your copy of God's Word, I want you to turn to the book of Jonah as well as to the book of Matthew chapter 12. If you don't have a copy of God's Word with you, you can borrow one of ours, and you will find our text on page 774 and 817. Those Bibles are under one of the chairs in front of you, and again, the text uh, page numbers are 774 and 817. Over the past nine weeks, we have been working verse by verse through the book of Jonah, And we have sought to understand that book uh, in its original context as well as to draw out the themes, the theology of the text that we can apply it to our lives today in our own context. And as we finish that task this morning, we want to look again to God's word, hearing it in such a way that we will be changed And we also want to do it in a unique way, looking at the entirety of the book of Jonah so that we can understand where it lies in the history of redemption and specifically how it points us forward to and helps us better understand Jesus Christ and his life and ministry. Throughout these nine weeks, we have been uh, certainly giving glimpses, but we want to try and draw those threads together today uh, in, a, in a consistent and a coherent way, uh, seen as I have titled the, morning, uh, the morning's message, the gospel according to Jonah. But we don't want to start at Jonah, we want to start at the end, as it were, in Matthew chapter 12. So let me just set the scene by reading verse 38. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him saying, teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. Now at this point in Jesus' life and ministry, he has been teaching, he has been healing, he has been performing miracles, he has been casting out demons, and he's gaining a following from the people. They are flocking to him and they are listening to him. And in light of this, the Jewish religious leaders want to now see some proof of his credentials. Credentials. They are standing, as it were, above Jesus, saying, we are the authorities here, we're the religious leaders, uh, we're the people in the know, uh, you need our approval, so give us some sign so that we can approve you. Help us to know for sure you're really from God. Quite audacious. And so Matthew says, Jesus answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of of the prophet Jonah. Verse 40, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Jesus argues from the greater to The lesser. Jonah went to pagans who believed and received his word. Yet now one greater than Jonah, Jesus Christ himself, is here. He is not going to pagans. He is going to his own people. The people of God, Israel, who who know the word, who have the covenant, who have the law. And yet they reject their own Messiah. Therefore, no sign will be given to them of Jesus' authority. They should already see him as the authority. The only sign, he says, that will be given to them is this, that Jesus himself, in an even greater way than Jonah, will descend to death and rise on the third day. And in the process, he will not just proclaim salvation, but he will achieve salvation for his people. So with that as our foundation, then, let us walk through the book of Jonah once more and see how Jesus came as the good and better Jonah. There are many things we could say here, we could spend probably twice as much time as we're going to spend this morning looking at, at all kinds of connections, but what I try to do was uh, boil things down to four of the clearest and most explicit contrasts between Jonah and Jesus. And the first of those is this, Jesus willingly obeyed God's call. Jesus willingly obeyed God's call. The book of Jonah does not take, uh, does not take a lot of time getting into the story. Uh, You open it, you get the first verse, and boom, you're right in the middle of the action. And unfortunately, uh, it's very quickly not a very pretty picture. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1 says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. Even after all these weeks, it still just strikes me as so unthinkable. The prophet Jonah called to speak God's word and instead of obeying God's call, deciding, no, I don't want to do that. And in fact, running, fleeing from this call, rejecting it, running away from God's mission rather than embracing it. Jesus didn't do that. Here, Jesus stands in sharp contrast to Jonah. For example, in Hebrews 10, we read this. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. And burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. Jesus God the Son was commissioned by God the Father to come into this world to take on flesh. In fact, the author of Hebrews, very interestingly, is quoting this prophetic psalm, putting the words into the very lips of Jesus, as it were, as he stands on the edge of eternity. And God the Father has said, I want you to go and to redeem sinners by taking on flesh and offering up your own body. And it's as if on the eve of that very first Christmas, uh, well, maybe nine months before that, uh, Jesus is standing on the edge of eternity and, and he, he turns and looks to the Father and says, A body you have prepared for me. Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. I'll see you in 33 years. And boom, the incarnation takes place. He's not standing around saying, I don't, I don't know, God. Are they worth it? I mean, should, should I really do this? I mean, this is going to be difficult. You know, I've got to take on flesh. I've got, got to live in the muck and the mire of humanity. I've got to see them in all their sin. I've got to experience tiredness and hunger. I just don't know I want to do this. No! He doesn't say any of that. He says, I have come to do your will. Now, if you're a parent, you know there's obedience. and no, there's obedience. There is, hey, go clean up your room. Yes, dad. And you go off and do it, right? And then there's go clean your room. Sure, dad. Can we have dinner afterwards? Yep. And you go, and you're like, wow, you know, I like that better than that, right? So the question is, again, I mean, Jonah sort of begrudgingly obeys halfway through the book, doesn't he? What about Jesus? Well, John chapter 4, he has just had this experience with the woman at the well, He has seen her come to saving faith in him as the Messiah. And the disciples come to him saying, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. My food. My food. Food is what nourishes our bodies food is what keeps us alive but very few of us just just eat to stay alive I mean we live in well getting close probably not to be the case but one of the richest countries in the world we'll just say it that way we we, we don't just eat for to stay alive we don't just get our rice and beans out and say this is going to keep me alive we eat for pleasure don't we I mean, we enjoy those combinations, those seemingly infinite combinations of taste and textures that go into our mouth and cause our taste buds to explode with pleasure. We love trying different foods. We take delight in eating in this thing that keeps us alive. And Jesus says all of that. All of that experience, that, that, that idea of finding nourishment, being satisfied so that my stomach is full, and, I, and, and the pleasure of eating, whether it's something, you know, a, a complex dinner, or whether it's just freshly baked bread, all of that, for me, is simply doing the will of my Father. When I obey my Heavenly Father, I take joy, I take delight, I find satisfaction as if I've eaten a full Meal. In all of this, Jesus does not just come to do the will of God because he has to, because he wants to, because he finds joy in doing it. And as he willingly obeyed God's call, he also displayed compassion for the lost. This is the second thing that we want to see this morning. He displayed compassion for the lost. Throughout the entire book, Jonah seems completely indifferent to everyone around him he runs from God he hops on a ship to flee and we read this in chapter 1 verses 4 and 5 the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them but Jonah had gone down to the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep storm is howling. The ship is creaking like it's going to, pu- to bust. Panicked sailors are yelling and screaming and crying out to their false gods, hoping one of them will hear and come to their rescue. Yet Jonah just sleeps. He doesn't care a thing about what these people are going through. On the boat eventually, he gets them to throw him over the side. He nearly drowns. God rescues him from the sea by having him swallowed by a great fish. And he is thankful for that and sort of begrudgingly now goes to Nineveh, that great city, and calls out against it as God tells him to do again after the fish vomits him back onto the beach. And that's exactly what he does. Chapter 3, verse 4, Jonah goes into the city and says, 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Well, that's a message, isn't it? No hope, short to the point, no compassion, yet despite what on the surface appears to be a deficiency in the message, the whole city is saved. It's amazing, they all believe Jonah's message, that there is a God who is going to judge them for their sin, and the result is they turn away from their sin, they repent, and they seek the face of this God they'd previously not known, hoping that he may relent and not bring the judgment they deserve. God does relent, and Jonah fumes. Chapter 4 says it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. He wanted Nineveh destroyed, not spared, and now he's angry, and he prayed to the Lord God. We might translate that, he ranted to the Lord God and said, O oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Jonah says he knows that God is compassionate towards sinners. He shows them grace and mercy. He is patient towards them. And Jonah says, I didn't want that for them. I didn't want them to experience that kind of love and compassion for you. I wanted judgment I wanted to see these pagan idolaters perish under a firestorm from heaven. Jonah shows no compassion towards sinners. He doesn't want them to be saved. And frankly, I mean, there are some people who call themselves Christians who display the same kind of attitude today, isn't there? I mean, you watch the television, and it doesn't take long for this group to be seen going and picketing funerals. Blaming the ills of our country on the country's sin. And do not mistake, do not mistake, this country is sinful. I wouldn't choose to live in any other country in the world, but we've got problems, not just on the national level. But you walk down the streets of our cities and you will find sin on display. And yet, here are people, not Christians, but unloving Pharisees who care nothing for sinners, only their own self-righteous lives before God. Their message is not one of hope. It's not one of compassion. It's not one that points to Christ. Judgment is their only message. They are modern day Jonahs. And as Christians, it is tempting to look on them and to condemn them and to say, they're no good. And that is, that is good as long as we don't miss our own sin in this regard. Because we can say all the right things. We can have a message of hope and yet never share it. That's not compassion either. Compassion is crossing the street. Compassion is spending money. Passion is, compassion is giving up your vacation time. Whether it is here in this city or downstate or across the world, but it is taking a message of hope, the message of Christ, and going to people who are lost without it and telling them this message. And if we don't do that, our sin is different, but it's no better than the compassionless people that go and pick it at funerals. Yet when you read Jesus, he's something very different. Matthew 9 says, Jesus went throughout the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus goes out into the sea of humanity. He sees every sin imaginable. He doesn't, even as their creator, as the God they should be worshiping and obeying, He does not look on them with condemnation. He looks on them with compassion. He feels sorry for them in their sin. And just two chapters later, what will he do but stand and proclaim, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He sees people trying to, after the Pharisees, earn their righteousness, and he sees that burden is heavy. It is unmanageable. When we try and earn our own way to God, it is impossible. Our merits will never stack up to what He needs. And Jesus says, stop. Stop driving yourselves crazy. Stop wearing yourselves out. Come and take my yoke upon you. Take the righteousness that I have, perfect before God, and put that upon yourself that you might find rest for your souls. That is a message of compassion. That is a message of hope. That is a message that sees sinners in the state that they're in and does not heap more trouble on them, does not heap more condemnation on them. They're already condemned for their sin. They're already bound for hell. How much more can you possibly hate them? Jesus says, I don't. I have compassion on them. I have love towards them. Jesus loved sinners. He sought them out, He spent time with them. He had compassion on them. Why? Because He came to save them. This is the third contrast that we see between Jesus and Jonah. Jesus died to achieve salvation. Jesus died to achieve salvation. Jonah had an amazing near-death experience. He was picked up, you remember, from that ship that he was on trying to flee God's presence. He was picked up from that ship and thrown into the sea. And in chapter 2, he has been rescued, and yet in his prayer of thanksgiving to God, he recalls what his experience was like in the water before his rescue. He says in chapter 2, verse 4, to God, you cast me into the deep. Into the heart of the seas and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Jonah is dropped, not into the kiddie pool, into a raging sea. He is tossed into open water in the middle of a violent storm. He goes in and immediately waves are crashing in over his head, driving him down to the vastness of the water. He says, the waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. It's the watery version of the humidity and heat in here. Can someone please turn that back up to high? Okay. The churning sea has dragged up all kinds of muck, all kinds of mud. And now it's all swirling around Jonah. Vegetation is wrapped around his head, his eyes. He can't see. He can't breathe. All he can do is sink further and further to death. And yet we read in chapter 1, verse 17, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now we're back to what Jesus said, aren't we? He drew the comparison most specifically. He pointed his finger right on it. And he said, just like Jonah was in the fish for three days, so the Son of Man will be in the earth for three days. He ties that to Nineveh believing the preaching of Jonah. Now, now what is going on? Well, here's what I think we are to make of this. It requires a little bit of imagination, but I think it fits the context. I think Jonah's experience wasn't just for Jonah. I don't even think it was recorded for us. I think the people of Jonah's day knew about Jonah's experience. I think the people he was going to, the people of Assyria, knew what had happened to him. Even him being swallowed by the fish is not just some random event. It was an experience. It was not an experience of simply divine quirkiness. You say, well, why do you say that? Because the Assyrians were people who worshipped, among other things, Dagon, the fish god. I'll let that sink in for a minute. You have a people that worship a god of the sea embodied by the image of the fish and they are out you know, maybe fishing on the shore. They're out, maybe they're out, maybe it was their for, 4th for of July. They're out on the beach, you know, eating, laughing, having fun. And all of a sudden, this massive fish just up out of the sea, water flowing everywhere. They're screaming. They think it's Dagon himself, maybe. He literally beaches, yeah. out comes Jonah, this man, uh, foul, filthy, stinking, seaweed, probably skin bleached white from the stomach acid, rolls around on the ground for a second, stands up. He hears God say, now go again into Nineveh and declare, call out against the city. And so he starts moving. You can imagine, step, 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 they're following. I mean, can you imagine what's going to happen? They're going to believe whatever that guy says. They're going to be like, well, who's this guy? He's the guy that come out of the fish's mouth. And, and, so, and so, even as Jonah is making his way to the city, word begins to spread like wildfire. There's this man who just got spit out of a fish, and we talked to him, and he said he's coming to declare a message to the capital, to Nineveh. We better listen to this guy. And yet, Jesus also says it was three days and three nights. He didn't just emerge from the fish. So, what if we maybe speculate even further and say the sailors that tossed him overboard? The sealers, you remember, who called out to all their pagan gods never got an answer. But when Jonah said, I worship the one true God, he created everything, including the sea. And they're first like, why are you rebelling against him? But second, they're like, well, let's call out to him. And they say, forgive us for tossing your prophet in the water. And guess what? Jonah goes in the water, and the storm stops, and they all begin to worship the Lord. Maybe they didn't go on to Tarshish. Maybe they went back home. Maybe they went back to Assyria. And maybe they said, man, there was this guy... And he was asleep, and we thought he didn't care anything for us. And then he said, throw me over the side. And he told us about this God. And guess what? His God stopped the storm. And they say, wait a minute. What does this guy look like? I said, well, he kind of looked like this. And I said, that guy just got spit out by a fish and everything. We thought he was dead. He never came back up. we thought he was a goner. What was that? He was three days. He was three days in this fish in the sea. And now suddenly they're all believing this man's message. They're waiting to hear this message. And when he says, there is one God and he's going to destroy you for their sins, of course, God has primed the pump. He's made them ready. His spirit invades their hearts and blows through them in revival. They say, We believe it. And they repent of their sins. Now, what about Jesus? Unlike Jonah, Jesus did not have a near death experience, he died. Not just into a fish, he was buried, sealed, put into the ground. And yet, like Jonah, even in a better and greater way, he emerged out of the ground on the third day. And the message of that death and resurrection has spread. It has spread to virtually the entire world. It is even sung today as we ourselves have. This message of a man who was more than a man who was God in the flesh, who died for sinners, who went into the grave and came back out of the grave. Therefore, how much more should we listen to his message and believe his word? Peter sums it up well in Acts 10 as he's preaching to the Gentiles. He says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are all witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear. Not to all the people, but to us who have been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name friends and loved ones, this message from Acts 10, this message of Christ who lived and died and now lives again, this is the reality to which the sign of Jonah pointed. A perfect final prophet who experienced death and resurrection whose preaching, we should listen to. Because Jesus didn't just preach God's salvation, he preached himself and the salvation that he himself achieved and offers to sinners. This brings us to the last thing we want to see this morning, and that is this. Jesus is the Word of God. Jesus is the Word of God. As a prophet, Jonah received God's Word. Twice in the book, we read the Word of the Lord came to Jonah. Now, this is common in all the prophetic books. The Word of the Lord comes to the prophets that they might speak it to the people that God directs them to. And as we... Quoted before, it's helpful to be reminded again of the situation in which Jonah found himself. Sinclair Ferguson says this, Jonah belonged to that privileged band of men who had stood in the presence of God and felt the pressure of his will upon their spirits. They heard his unmistakable voice telling them what he was about to perform among the nations. Just put yourself in Jonah's shoes for a minute. Imagine the thrill the excitement, imagine the the weight and the privilege of feeling your mind and your heart so filled with God's spirit that suddenly his word begins ringing clearly, audibly in your ears as you hear a message from the living God, the one who made all things, the one who not just imagined but spoke and in 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 just a moment created stars and vast burning galaxies across the universe and he gives you a word to proclaim to the nations, Not many had that privilege. We think, all kinds of prophets, but you go through, there's not that many among the sea of humanity, even God's own people. Jonah stood among a group of few with a great privilege. He received the word of God and spoke it as a prophet. But Jesus comes in this regard, and he trumps Jonah. Jesus comes as the good and better Jonah, as the perfect prophet as the final prophet because Jesus didn't just receive the word of God he didn't just proclaim the word of God he is the word of God pastor Richard alluded to it earlier when uh, in the, our call to worship the apostle John in the beginning of his gospel says in the beginning before anything else there was the word the word was with God and the word was God He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glories of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And from His fullness we have all received grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. In college, in one of my... uh, one of my Gen Ed classes, I instead of taking I wanted to take something I thought would be interesting. So I opted for geology as a science class. Now the field trips were fun, but some of the bookwork wasn't. But one of the things I learned about was earthquakes. And of course, you'll know commonly that almost in every earthquake, big ones, there's always the aftershocks. There and, and they expect it, they're waiting for it. Sometimes even as they're digging people. Uh, who have been trapped, they're just thinking, when is the aftershock going to come? We've got to get to these people. We've got to secure things. But what you may not know is that sometimes the aftershock that comes is actually more powerful than the earthquake. Now, what do scientists do? They don't say, well, that's cool. No, they go back and say, we were wrong. The first earthquake was not the earthquake. The second earthquake was the real earthquake. And the first event was the foreshock. In other words, the, 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 as the tectonic plates are, are coming together and the pressure's mounting, there is this, there is this rumbling, this explosion that creates this, this earthquake. But it's only as perhaps they've slid a little bit, and now they, one folds back under the other, and then you have the massive quake. And they said the other thing was just the anticipation. It's just the, the building up to the main event. In the same way the Bible is clear, every prophet throughout the ages was simply a foreshock of the main event that was to come in Jesus Christ. No matter how powerful their ministry, no matter how potent their message, they were simply future echoes, foreshadowings of the one true prophet, Jesus Christ. This is what the author of Hebrews tells us at the beginning of his letter. Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. You just pick it up when you read it. You read Jonah, read Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. Our spiritual fathers are spoken to through the prophets. But, but in these last days, God has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom He also created the world. This Son is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. He is not just God's Son. He is God the Son. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Everything culminates in Jesus Christ and the message that he brings, the message that he literally embodies. Because Jesus came as the good and better Jonah In that, he didn't just bear the message, he didn't just receive the word, he was the word, he was the message. His life, his death, and his resurrection was the saving word of God. Unlike Jonah, Jesus willingly obeyed the call of God. Unlike Jonah, Jesus had compassion on sinners. Unlike Jonah, Jesus actually experienced death and was raised to life again, not simply declaring but securing an eternal salvation. And unlike Jonah, Jesus was the very word of God made flesh. In all of these things, Jesus is the good and better Jonah. Wherever Jonah fails, Jesus exceeds, far exceeds what he did. He brings to fulfillment the pattern of Jonah's life as well as his prophetic ministry. Jesus becomes the focal point of our lives and our faith. But more than that, Jesus stands as our example to follow. He is not just our prophet. He is not just our priest. He is not just our king. He's also our example. I'm just about done with this book that I, I picked up on a whim. Rarely do I pick up books on a whim. And though I didn't judge it by its cover, I did judge it by its title. The, the title of this book was call, is called Not a Fan Becoming a com- Completely Committed Follower of Jesus. I read that and I thought, man, I wish I'd have thought of that. That's a great title. That's a great title for a sermon series, which is how this thing started. And this guy's whole point in writing this book is to say, look, Jesus isn't interested in you being his fan. He's not interested in you clicking like on Facebook, I like Jesus, or having a bumper sticker or wearing a shirt. He is interested in people who will follow him. That's what he calls us to be, not just to like him. Jesus didn't care if you like him. Care less. He wants you to follow him. He wants you to trust him. That's what he calls us to do, to follow him in faith. Isn't that what we see even in his first disciples? What does he say to them? Follow me. Follow me. Jesus calls us to trust, not in us, not in our own righteousness and what we can do to make ourselves right with God. He calls us to trust in him. He calls us to trust in him as the one who lived and died and lives again as our substitute the one who bore God's wrath for us, the one who lived a life of righteousness that is given to us. It was for us that Jesus willingly obeyed the Father. It was to us that he showed compassion and mercy. It was for us that he gave up his life as God in heaven to become the incarnate Word of God. Jesus' ministry was for sinners like us, and because of that, he calls us to trust him, not with our future lives, not just with eternity, but with our lives in the here and now. That means following his teaching and following his example. Therefore, we shouldn't be surprised in John 20, right before he, uh, he, after his resurrection, before he ascends, he looks at the disciples and he says this, as the father has sent me, so even I am sending you. So Jesus says, hey, I came to seek and save the lost. Guess what? That's what we're supposed to do. Seek and save the lost. Not in the same way that he did. We cannot offer our lives as a ransom for them. Instead, though, we follow his example. We obey the call to go and spread the gospel and make disciples. We go willingly, delighting to do the will of God, our Savior. We show compassion for those who are lost. And we don't proclaim ourselves. We proclaim Christ and his message. He is the focus of everything that God has done. He is the one that we lift up. Loved ones, as we... As we end our time in the book of Jonah, help us not follow after his example. Help us not be Jonah, but rather by faith. Help us to trust in and follow the example of Jesus, the good and better Jonah. Father, we are thankful for your word. We are thankful for the way it doesn't just inform our minds, but transforms our lives. We pray that you would continue that great work as your word continues to soak its way into our minds and hearts. God, may your spirit wield it well, rooting out sin and idolatry in our hearts that we may truly love you as we should and follow you in obedience as Lord. God, we ask all these things in Christ's name and for his sake, amen.